Well, praise God. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Father, we come before your goodness this morning. Oh, we just come to receive from you. We know that as we open your word, you meet us there. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what you say you do, and you show us things to come. You bring things to our remembrance. You teach us all things. And so, Holy Spirit, we know you watch over the word to perform it. As the word says that it's not one word of it is void of power, but it goes forth to do what it was accomplished to do. And so, Holy Spirit, we just open up and we give you room this morning. Change the message if you want to. Let us go in a different direction if you want to. We are open right now, Father. We thank you for your word. We hold it up highly in our lives. We know that as we plant the word in our heart, it grows. And so this morning we look to the growth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we started a series three, three weeks ago now called Make Him Known. And we're talking about the knowledge of God. And Psalm 105.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, and make known his deeds among the people. And as I've started off with that verse for the last three weeks, here's what I've said. You can't make known what you've never known because that would be an unknown. You can't tell people about the goodness of God that you've never known. You can't walk in the goodness of God that you've never known. You can't walk in the healing of God if you've never known about it. You can't walk in the provision of God if you've never known about it. You can't walk in the wisdom of God if you've never known about it. You can't walk in the peace of God if you've never known about it. And so what you don't know can very much harm you. It can be a hindrance to you if you don't know what God has said about you. If you don't know the system that he's placed you in to operate in as his child. You know, as, as, a, as a natural sense, we say, like daddy, like kid, you know, or like mama, like kid. You know, they emulate their parents. And so if we don't know what daddy God is like and how he acts, we won't be able to function and act like he is. And you have been called to be like him. That's how he started it in the beginning. He said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So like daddy, like kid. And so this morning, Father, we thank you that you're going to reveal your God-likeness to us so that we can see more clearly your attributes and your nature, so that we can walk fuller in what you have called us to. And so in Philippians chapter 3, Paul told them that his cry was that he may know him and the power of his resurrection. I love that the New Living says it this way, though, because it more captures what the Greek actually says. He says, I want to know Christ and, everyone say the word with me, experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I love that it puts it in in that translation because it really shows Paul's heart. He doesn't want you just to know about something. He wants you to walk and experience and partake in something. And so last week we told you the reason why that is is because once you've experienced something, no one can take that away from you. When you've experienced the goodness of God and someone says, no, that's not for you today, 
I can say, I'm sorry, you're too late. That ship has sailed. I will walk in the goodness of God. When people say that you can't be healed today, I say, I'm sorry, that ship has sailed. I've already been healed. When people say you can't walk in the blessings and the prosperity of God today, I say, sorry, that ship has sailed. Come on, am I the only one that feels this way this morning? You, once you've experienced something, they can't take that away from you. It's like them saying the sun won't shine ever again. And you're like, I'm sorry, I'm standing in the sunlight right now. And so once you, what you've experienced can't be taken away from you. And so when we open the word and whenever God reveals something to us, it's our job to then walk in it. And that's why James said, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Because you can spend your entire life accumulating knowledge and accomplish nothing. But the knowledge that you take and you apply will begin to grow and be fruitful in your life. And so the Amplified Bible put it this way. It says, for my determined purpose is that I may know him and that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And as I told you last week, That just screams to me of relationship. Getting to know him more and more and more and more and more each day, you will never reach the end of that. We told you last week that there are angels that fly over his throne. It says they have six wings. One they cover their faces, with one set they cover their feet, and the other set they fly with. And every time they pass God's throne, they see a new attribute of them, and they go, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And so if they've been doing that since their creation, how much more us as his children, the one who he says, I want you to know my heart, how much more us can grow in our relationship with him more deeply and intimately every day. And so he says that I progressively may become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, but then he says, and that in the same way I may come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection and that which it exerts over the believer. So Paul didn't want to just know more and more and more and more and more about God. He also wanted to see, experience that power that flows out from him. Each and every day. The book of Psalms says that he daily loads us with benefits. I want to know how those benefits can influence my life today. Psalm 103 says that forget not all his benefits. That how he's healed our bodies. He's forgiven our our diseases. He's just done so many great things for us. But I want to know how that applies to me today now. And so Paul said that I can know him more and more. And I can experience his power more and more and more and more and more and more. And why can you experience his power more and more? Well, Romans 8.11 says this. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. It was the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It dwells in you. The power that hit the 
grave, split the grave, raised a dead man up after three days, raised him to life. That's the one who dwells in you. And it says he quickens your mortal body. That word quickens in the Hebrew means he gives life. It brings a life. There's deadness that some of us are walking in in our lives. Things that we're putting up with that was never meant to be put up with. God speaks life on a daily basis by the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That's what's in me. So when sickness tries to grab onto my body, I say, no, no, sickness, you can't have me. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is quickening me. Man, when I start to get a little emotionally down, go ahead and say, God, I thank you that your spirit is bringing me right back up. It's giving me life. Woo! You know, they say that there's an epidemic of anxiety and depression going on in the younger generation these days. That's because somebody needs to get out there and start telling them about the goodness of God. And that He can do a work just as much in your mind as He can in your body, as He can in your heart. And by the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, uh, doesn't get much bigger than that. If that's what it will do in you, let it work. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work you're doing in us, even as we talk about your word right now, that bodies are coming alive. Come on, if you came in here with sickness this morning, go ahead and latch onto that word. My body's coming alive. My body's coming alive right now. It's being quickened. Pain is leaving. Oh, I thank you that disease can't stay on bodies. It's coming alive. Holy Spirit, we thank you that as we are saturated in your presence, ah, that things just fall aside because we are being quickened. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, come on, sit down. Come on. Woo. Got lots more. We're just getting started. I said after week one that we were just hitting first gear right there. There's still much more of this. And so for week one, we talked about what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. And that's a prayer that we can take and we can pray for ourselves. He said that, God, I pray that you would give to them the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of you. And then he tells us what happens when that happens. The lights come on. It says that the eyes of your understanding begin become enlightened. In the Greek, it says that your imagination begins to flow. He can put dreams in your heart. He can show you things that you never thought of before. And it all flows out of knowing Him. When you're with Daddy, Daddy's thoughts just begin to rub off. You know, sometimes when you hear the kids talk, I'm like, that sounded like it just came out of my mouth. (laughs) And sometimes that's a good thing. Other times, not so much. Don't worry. Don't look at me like Robin. I know they say some things that you say. (laughs) But we need to let his thoughts rub off on us. And so he said, God, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Turn the lights on so that they can see the hope that they have been called to. That they can know that you've given them an inheritance. That they can know the power that is available to those who believe. Oh, my goodness. Then we talked about Colossians chapter 1 last week. And he prayed a little bit differently for the church at Colossae. And there's a reason why the prayer to the Colossians is a little more lengthy than the one in Ephesians chapter 1. And the reason is Paul had never been to Colossae. 
He had never been there. His friend, Epaphras, was the one that was actually pastoring at that church. And he contacted Paul and was like, these are some problems that we've got. They're denying the deity of Christ and all these other things. And so Paul was like, I want to go there. But during this period that in which uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians were all written around 62 AD, that was when Paul was in prison or under house arrest in Rome. And so because he couldn't be there in the flesh, he couldn't just swing by Colossae on the weekend, he sent them a letter. And in his letter to the Colossians, because he had not been there, he had to give a little more foundation to them. And so he says, God, fill them with all the knowledge of your will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then he tells them just basically the same thing. God will strengthen you. God will increase knowledge. The more knowledge you use, the more God will give unto you. You know, we, need, we have a responsibility to what we know. And if you want to know more, use what you got. It's progressive or compound revelation. If you take what you see in the word and apply it to your life, God will show you the next step and he'll take you deeper. And that's how it becomes the progressively getting to know him more and more and more and more and more and more. Take what you've known and put it in your life and apply it. And so he gives them five things. He tells them that they'll be strengthened, that they'll walk worthy and that they'll be fruitful in every good work. And I said last week, I'd like to be just fruitful in some of the works. But he says, but God's wisdom flows to you. You have the ability to be fruitful in every good work. And that just lines up with the word. It says that whatever you put your hand to do will prosper. You can be fruitful in what he's told you to do. And I always put the qualification there, though, in what he's told you to do. Some people get out there beyond God and start, oh, God must want me to do this and this. And then they're like, why is it failing? And God's saying, I never told you to move on. Stay with what he told you to do until he tells you to move. And if you feel like you've gotten out behind him, go back to the last thing he told you to do and do it. We don't need to be anxious. You can do the same thing for the rest of your life and God can bless you right there. Move when he says move. Stop when he says stop. And so his message to the Colossians was a little bit different than the ones to the Ephesians. But as I was thinking about it this week, there's a third prayer that generally gets left out. And that's the prayer that he prayed for the Philippians. So all three books were written at the same time in the same year, probably back to back. Paul was praying for the churches because he couldn't travel there. And he's just, as he's writing to them, he just begins to speak his heart and pour his heart out to them. And this is what he said to the Philippians in verse chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for you all with with all joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Now, the book of Philippians has a completely different tone than Ephesians and Colossae. As I said, Paul had never been to Colossae. Ephesians had a little problems that Paul was trying to sort out, but Philippians has the most optimistic message out of all the books that Paul wrote, and the reason why is they were Paul partners. They were the ones that financed the gospel going to the whole world. 
It wasn't the church at Galatia. It wasn't the church. He told the Corinthians that you should abound in this grace, and then he referenced the Philippians saying, they're the one paying for me to be here so that you can hear the word. And so Paul's heart was different with the Philippians. They bought into what he was saying and said, you know what? We believe in the message you're telling Paul so much. We're going to pay for you to take it to other people. And so that's why we see Paul's heart revealed in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, that I may know him and that I may experience him more. Paul was opening up his hearts to his closest supporters. You know, whenever you're in a time of trouble, turn to those of your company. That's what Peter did when he got released from prison. It says they went to their own company. And what did their own company do? They prayed. They supported each other. And it says the place that they were shaken, and they went forth and they began to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, and the word of God began to spread. And so whenever you're in trouble, go to your own company. And so Paul says, every time I think of you, I just can't stop but thank God for you. And then in verse 6, he says this. He says, and I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Something really stood out to me, though, that the work doesn't finish until Jesus comes back. Has he come back? Which means he's still doing a work in you. He's not finished in what he's wanting to show you. He's not finished in what he's wanting to do in you and through you. And it says, he who begun a good work in you. And some people leave it there. They let God begin things in them. And then the things begin to take them. But God is wanting to begin in you and continue through you. Meaning, stay with your first love. If it was God who got you there, it's God who will keep you there. And he'll take you further. There's never a good stop point to take your lever off the God. Put it down another gear and go a little faster. And so he says, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day Christ returns. And then verse 9, he begins to pray again. He just can't help but pray for them. And he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And here we go with knowledge again, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. And the reason why he wants them to do this, he says in the next verse, for I want you to understand what really matters, which means that when I don't know what God has said about me, when I don't know what he's prepared for me, I won't understand where the important priorities are. And sometimes we can find ourselves in lives, our lives spinning our wheels, feeling like I'm getting no progress, I'm getting no further, I feel like I'm just wasting my energy. Go back to him and he'll show you what's important and what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. And so we ended last week in Colossians chapter 3 where God, Paul says this, he says, For our spiritual wealth is in him like a hidden treasure waiting to be discovered. Heaven's wisdom and endless riches of revelation knowledge. So God has so much that he wants you to know, but there's a principle in it. Just show up. You know, it says, seek and you find. If you haven't found, I have to ask, were you seeking? 
says, knock and it will be opened unto you. Go ahead and knock on the door of God and say, God, show me more. I've got this situation in my life. Show me how I should approach it. Ask and it will be given unto you. Now, that's one that I know personally in my life has tripped me up a lot of times. I'm like, God, why haven't you come through the way that I wanted to? And he just gently and lovingly says to you, you didn't ask. I'm more than willing. But he waits for us to take that step to him because he's a perfect gentleman. He'll never do anything that you don't want him to do, which is why most people don't experience his Holy Spirit like they should because they're not willing to take the first step and just say, God, I lift up my hands to praise you. I lift up my hands to worship you. And that's why we can have worship times and some person's just like, oh, it's just so good. And another person's going, are we done yet? Because it's to the extent that we're willing to open our hearts and take that step towards God. And every time we take that step towards God, we find out He's already taken that step further towards us. And so all of His wisdom and His endless riches of revelation knowledge is just waiting to be discovered. As we said last week, it's not hidden from us, it's hidden for us. You know, as Easter's approaching, it kind of makes me think of what kids generally do around Easter time where the parents go out and they hide little eggs filled with chocolate and stuff like that. We hide them around the house and then the boys come in and they're like, where are they? Where are they? Oh, there's one up there and they're climbing up on the TV to pull it down and, you know, they're going through the bookshelves to find their chocolates and stuff like that. And I feel like that's what God's done. He's hidden all these good things around and the kids come in the room. He's like, come on, guys, look, look, fine. And the kids are like, oh my God, it's just another buddy chocolate. You know, (laughs) God loves when we're excited about his things and he's hidden so many good things just waiting for us to go, oh my goodness, God, this is so awesome. But I thought, with this, this series being on the knowledge and the wisdom of God, we should probably go and look at the person who is regarded as the wisest person who's ever lived. Anybody want to take a look at who that is? Solomon. Solomon. And so over in Proverbs chapter 1, it says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Now, I have to admit What I'm about to share with you right now, I completely missed for years and years and years. And I didn't realize until just a little while ago that Solomon, when he was writing the book of Proverbs, he started with a purpose statement. He told, tells us exactly why he was writing this book and what will happen when you read it. Anybody else ever miss that? Because I completely, whoosh, over my head. Verse 2, he says, their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline and to help them understand the insights of the wise. So what, uh, so I keep trying to say Paul because we've talked so much about Paul lately. What Solomon is saying here, he says, the wise people already know these things and I want everybody to know them. I want people to understand wisdom and discipline. And he says, their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and, I love this next one, successful lives. So God put a book in the Bible to show you how to live a successful life to help them to do what is right just and fair you know i find that most people aren't really that concerned with doing what is right unless it benefits them 
Most people don't really care about what is just unless it's just about them. And most people are very much not really concerned about what is fair. They just want what's for them. And so when it comes to the things of God, we have to understand it's not always going to be about us, but God will bless you to get it through you to someone else. Because we are blessed to be a blessing. And so he said in the book of Proverbs, it'll show you what is right, what is just, and what is fair. And then he says these Proverbs will give insight to the simple. So if you don't feel like you're very intelligent, that's okay. This book is for you. This book is for me. So it gives insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. And I thought that was really important as I thought, what's the thing that young people are missing out on? It's not that they don't have the ability to think, and it's not that they can't learn, but they often are lacking in experience and discernment. They haven't, don't have the life experience to know, I shouldn't put my hand on the stove. And so in the book of Proverbs, there's things that will tell the young people, don't do this and do this and you'll be good. And then he says, let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. That tells me that there is no pinnacle of knowledge. That there will be a consistent pursuit all the days of your life. You will never arrive. But if you're wise, you can become wiser. And it says, let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables and the words of the wise and their riddles. So that was Paul's pur or Solomon's purpose statement for the book of Proverbs. I want you to know what to do. I want you to know how to be successful, to live just, right, fair lives. But you know, the first six verses... We're all about what was going to happen. But then the next verse, he tells you where to start. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. You know, I don't know why I was surprised when I got to verse 7 that that's where you have to start. Because if you know the story of Solomon, he was just an ordinary king. Up until the point one day he was just worshiping God. And he was praying to God and God said, Solomon, ask anything you want. You know, Solomon could have said, God, give me a whole bunch of gold. But he didn't. He could have said, God, give me a whole bunch of territory. But he didn't. What he asked of God, he said, God, give me wisdom and let me understand. And God said, because you've asked for wisdom and not riches, you'll have both. Because when you've got the wisdom, everything else is just a derivative of it. And so it shouldn't surprise us that the starting point of wisdom and knowledge is God. Because the wisest person who ever lived started there. And so if you want to be smart in what you do, start with God. If you want to be smart in continuing in what you do, continue with God. I don't know why this should be news to us in church, right? 
But it was for me. I didn't realize that that's where Solomon had started. But he said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning or the foundation of wisdom. Now, he was not saying, be afraid of God. That's not what that word means. The word in the Hebrew is the word yirah, which means respect and have reverence for, to be awestruck. When you come before God, you can't help but going, oh my goodness. Holy, because God is so great in magnitude. Now, I all, whenever I want to think about how big God is and how awesome God is, I think about the universe. And that's just a little glimmer of God. That's just a little piece. When we think of the enormity, we have spacecraft that have been traveling for 20, 30 years just leaving our solar system let alone making it to another one, and there's billions in our galaxy. And that's just a glimmer of God. And so Solomon said, the beginning of wisdom is to have respect and reverence and awe for God. Don't ever lose your desire to be like, God, wow. You know, we can go through seasons in our life where we're kind of like, I've got so many other things to do. Trust me, there's nothing more important than getting before God daily and having a respect. What is respect? It's understanding that he knows a lot more than me. And so I'm going to give him the opportunity to show me how to do it better. You know, Paul reiterated this in chapter 9. In verse 10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And then in verse 11, it says, Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wiser, you will be the one to benefit. But if you scorn wisdom... You will be the one to suffer. But I'm, when people shun wisdom, a lot of people begin to suffer. <laughs> but it's direct, has a direct impact on you. The wisdom of God and the knowledge of God will add days to you, will add years to your life. You know, let's just think about this. God has told us that the time of man on earth should be around 120 years old. But yet right now, the average life expectancy around the world is 80.3 years. And 78 point something in the United States has taken a drop in the last few years. But you have to understand that that is up from 48 in the year 1901. So in the last year, or the last hundred years, we've basically doubled the lifespan of a human. And how did that happen? A little bit of wisdom and understanding. Medical things have come a long way. You know, I was listening to something the other day, and they said, you know, really, the people of Woodstock should thank modern medicine for the, uh, the ability to roll around in the mud with a whole bunch of people for a few days, because that was unheard of 50 years ago, you would have been like, I don't want to catch the plague. <laughs> and so being wise and learning is always a good thing, and it will add years and days to you. 
So with the time remaining, this, is, this series is not about just general wisdom and knowledge. This series is about the knowledge of God. So I thought, why don't we spend the rest of the time and do a little exploring of God and who he is? And as I was thinking about this, God, what's, you know, what are some questions that come up? I started to think of ones that my own children have asked me as we begin to talk about God. And uh, one of them that a Harrison asked me a little while ago, he said, where did God come from? And I've thought about it. I'm like, you know, that's a question that I think I asked when I was younger as well. Where did God come from? And the answer really is, if you go to the very beginning, in Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God. And so at the beginning of everything we know and everything that is, God already was. So where does God come from? God doesn't come from anything. We come from him. So God has no beginning and no end, and we can't understand where God's origins were from because he is not part of our creation system. Our creation system is a part of him. And we have to understand that that's the thing that really made the Christianity different and even Judaism in the beginning because Around that time, if we look at all of the different religions that came out of the region of Mesopotamia, they all had a common theme. There was a primordial goop that already existed within our creation, and things like gods and everything came out. In one Mesopotamian god system, there was a crocodile that came out and ate everything else up and then pooped out our earth. <laughs> it's funny. It really is. And there's so many different ones like that. And so then here we see in Judaism and Christianity, there is nothing that comes out of that. It's everything else comes out of God. And so you can't say, where does God come from? Because God comes from nowhere. You come from God. It's trying to, to take finite terms and put them onto infinite and when we think about the term of infinite, you can start counting, as Harrison's done, like, he's made it to like 5,000 one time as he was trying to get to infinity. But you can go, you can start counting and make it to a billion times a billion times a billion times a billion and be no further from the start or closer to the end. And so we can't understand God's in terms of our time frames because God is not bound by time. God created Time. And so in the beginning of everything, there was God. But I like in the story of Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is talking to God through the burning bush, and God is sending Moses to free the people of Israel from Egypt. And in verse 13 says, But Moses protested and said, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, Well, what is his name? And what should I tell them? And this is God's response. Tell them, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. The I am has sent you. What God said to Moses in the Hebrew was, I am the self-existence one, existent one. God does not exist because of us. We exist because of him. He said, so when, he's when you're going to tell the other Israelites who I am, tell them I'm the only one, is really what he said. The only one that matters. And why was that important to them? They had been living in Egypt for 400 years. You got Ra, you got all the other sun gods, and you got all the things that the Egyptians were. He was trying to bring differentiation between them. They all were birthed 
out of something, everything was birthed out of God. So he reveals it to, to Moses and says, I'm the self-existent one. I'm dependent on no existence of anything else. Everything is dependent upon my existence. Hebrews 7.3 says that he's without father, without mother, without genealogy, neither having beginning of days nor end of life. Revelation says that he, come on, turn. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So when we ask the question, where does God come from? It's really not a good question. We should ask a question like this more. Why did God create me? Or what is my purpose? Or what is my relation to him? Because he is the anchor of everything. And your purpose will be found out of him. And so why did God create us? And it's a very simple question really to answer. And it's revealed when we look at the garden system. God created Adam and Eve, and he came down just to walk with them and to fellowship with them. He created us for relationship. Said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. In other words, let's make more like us. God was procreating. He wanted more like him. So he created you. The earth is basically God's incubator. He's creating sons and daughters. So why did God create you? He created you to walk in his things, to fellowship with him, to talk with him, to understand what he understands, to walk in what he walks. God created kids. That's why he's Father God. Hallelujah. So in the beginning, God was, and God will always be. But you know, he was not alone at the beginning. In John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, God, was with God, and the Word was God. Now, who is this Word that John is talking about? Well, he tells us. Verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness of him, crying out, saying, This is he whom I said, he comes after me, but was preferred before me because he was before me. And we'll come back to that in a second. And of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So who was in the beginning with God? Jesus. And not only was he with God, he was God. And so that's where we see that God is one, but he's actually three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. Uh, he exists as one, but he also exists as three. Why? Because he can. Because he chose to. That's how he decided. That's not up to us. But he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 2 says, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. So everything that exists today was created through Jesus. Because Jesus forever will be the conduit of God connecting heaven and earth. He was the conduit through which creation was created. He's also the conduit through which salvation came to the earth. He's also the conduit through which man comes to God. 
Jesus will always be the connection point to God for our earth. But it also said in verse 2 that the earth was without form and void and the darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here we see that at creation there was Father God, there was Jesus the Son, and also the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is the action man in the Trinity of God, which is what we're talking about. We're talking about the Trinity as, as the Bible describes it to us. There's God who gives the instruction. There's Jesus who is the conduit that releases it into this earth. And there's the Holy Spirit who carries it out. And it was the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He dwells in you and quickens your mortal body. So He is the man of action of the Trinity. Whatever God says, Jesus releases into the earth and the Holy Spirit does for you. Which is why He's the comforter because He's the man of action. He comes to comfort. That's why He's the teacher. He shows you things. He shows you things to come. He brings things to your remembrance. He shows you how to walk in peace. He shows you how to walk in blessing. He is the spirit of grace. Grace is always an action. It's never just a passiveness. And so the Holy Spirit is always the action man of the Trinity. And so whenever God does something in your life, he will do it through the Holy Spirit. Which is why Jesus was said was so important for his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And so much today, the church is making so little of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus thought it was important for his disciples, it's important for you. You need the Holy Spirit because he's the one that allows you to produce like God produces. But the word that was used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, is the word Elohim. And it's a really interesting word because it's plural, but yet singular. It's what the Hebrew people call a royal plural, meaning though it is one system, it can be many. And so God, has, though he is one, has chose to manifest himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit just because he chose to. And the word Elohim comes from the Hebrew word Eloah, which simply means God. And it finds its root in the word El, which simply means power and strength. So an interesting side note, if you know anything about Superman, his Kryptonian name is actually Cal-El. And his father's name was Jor-El. And it was relating back to this word Elohim. And you want to know why? Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel were good Jewish boys. And so they knew a little something about where power flows from. And it comes from God. And so Cal-El derives his power from God. And Jor-El, his father, it's a system. He's just reading what he saw in the Bible and creating a powerful person out of it. You know it's art reflecting life. Really, it is. And so really, all L means is power, strength, and might. And so when you want to think of in terms of what God is, he's power. He's strength. He's might. And Genesis 1.26 reflects this plurality where God is having a conversation with himself. And he said, let us. So it was a collective decision between God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And what did they decide? Let us make man like us. Let them have authority in this earth. Let them have dominion in this earth. So God's whole thought 
in the basis of creation. He made this earth. He made this universe for us. You were his crowning creation. Everything else in the other days, he said, that's good, yeah, good water, good earth, good animal, good bird. But when he came to man, he says it's very good. It's like a father looking at their child for the first time and going, oh, it's so cute. And so all of the Trinity was, I don't even know what the best word is to say, because we can't understand how really God thinks, but his best thought about everything was you. But I want to look at this word Elohim, and I thought, you know, what better way is to let somebody else tell you the Greek basis of it. So here, sit back and enjoy Here's this. a message from C.J. Lovick, author of the widely popular Living Word in 3D series. Watch as he unfolds a mystery hidden just under the surface. In Genesis 1-1, we read, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The word we translate into English as God is revealed in the original Hebrew over 4,000 times as the name Elohim. So let's look at the picture meaning based on the five letters, Aleph, Lamed, Hey, Yo, and Man, in the name of Elohim. Aleph, pictured as an ox, it means the strong leader. Lamed, pictured as a shepherd's staff, and it means the one that has control and the one that speaks with authority. Hey, pictured as a man lifting his hands up to heaven, signifying that true revelation comes from heaven alone. It means to reveal. Yo, pictured as a hand, it means to work, a mighty deed, to make something. Mem is pictured as water. So let's summarize the translation of Elohim. The Hebrew word translated God over 4,000 times in the English Bible. Aleph, the strong leader. Who is he? God the Father. Lamech, the one who speaks with authority. And who is he? God the Son. Hey, the revelator, the one who reveals the Holy Spirit. Yo, does a mighty work with his hand that separates Mem, the waters, from the water. Think about it for a moment. Not only does God reveal the three persons in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but he also reveals in a nutshell the essence of his creative work. The picture meaning of Elohim is revealed in the essence of his name. Elohim is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit doing a mighty work of separating the waters from the waters in order that we might have an earthly home. Genesis 1, 9-10 And Elohim said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And Elohim called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called the seas, and he saw that it was good. God revealed his name as Elohim, so that every time you considered his name, you would be reminded that it was he who created the heaven and the earth. We should marvel at the name Elohim. And so literally, when we call upon the name of the Lord, here's what happens. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit show up to do a mighty work. And so whenever you need something in your life and you call upon the name of God, that's what happens. Father, Son, Holy Spirit show up to do a work in your life. The Word of God is not just some passive thing that we read and go, oh, that was nice. No, when you call upon God, things change. When you lift up your voice and call on him things change because he shows up to do a mighty work in your life yes. daddy comes to the rescue 
It's like when the little child falls and scrapes their knees and says, Daddy! Daddy comes a-running. It's like in the story of the prodigal son. As soon as he got to the end of the laneway, the father was already running down to hug him and to hold him and to bring him back into the family. So whenever we call on God, there's a mighty work that comes to be done in our lives. If you need healing in your body, you call on God and He shows up to do a mighty work. If you need new opportunities, you call on God and He comes to do a mighty work. If you need wisdom, you call on God and He comes to do a mighty work. Which is why the foundation of all wisdom and all understanding is God. He comes to do a mighty work in you. And as we said, in, as Paul prayed for the Philippians, I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue His work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus returns. He began a work in you. And every time you call upon his name, he comes to continue it. So Father, we just look to you right now. We know that you know all the ins and outs of our lives. And we know that when you call, we call on you, you show up. You begin to move mightily on our behalf. So Father, we ask for wisdom. We ask for understanding, and we receive it from you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the wonderful things that you have in store for us as your kids. And we thank you, God, for them in Jesus' name. Well, maybe you've been watching us this morning via the internet, and you haven't had that first introduction with God. Maybe you're in this place and you're in that same spot. All it takes is calling out on God, and he shows up and does a work in you. So as we pray, just go ahead and pray with us. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the work that he has done. And I receive him now. I declare him as Lord. And I declare him as Savior. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd like you to reach out to us. We have some resources we'd like to send to you. And we'd also like to get you hooked up with a good church in your area because that's the first thing. You need to get in the Word and you need to learn because when you learn, man, God opens new doors. You know, guys, God has a great work for you. It's said that He would show you what is the hope of your calling. He has got awesome things that He wants to show you even today even this week, and he only talks to open hearts. And so if you want to hear from him, go ahead and give yourself space for that. Sit down, get away from everything else and say, God, teach me. And he'll take his word and he'll open it to you. And he's always faithful to do that and he will continue to. So Father, once again, we just say thank you. We give you glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. Let's have some coffee and fellowship.